Well, one day this, uh, this, this wife, she called her husband and she said, Honey, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? And the husband said, Honey, I just, I've had such a bad day. I had to let someone go today. I don't know if I can handle any bad news. Can you just give me the good news and we'll talk about the bad news later? And so the wife said, that, That's fine. Uh, the good news is that the airbags on our new Suburban work really, really well. <laughs> well, in a world full of such bad news, we, we all could use a little bit of good news, couldn't we? And so for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Good News, and it really is what we all need to hear. This good news that we're talking about is the gospel. And the gospel of, uh, is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the amazing story of the sinless life the sacrificial death, and the powerful resurrection of the historically real person known as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Christ. And, and the life-changing story of Jesus Christ, it has the power to transform every aspect of our lives. This good news changes every aspect of our lives. And so what we've done these past few weeks is we've looked at how the good news transforms us. We've talked about how it transforms me. It changes me. It, it, it transforms how I live and how I love, especially how I love others who disagree with me. The, the good news changes our relationships, especially our marriages. It compels me to be an imitator of Christ and imitate him in his, in his humility, in his submission, even an imitator of his suffering. And then it transforms an entire group of people known as the family of believers who rally around Jesus and, and serve the community. And this group of people is known as the church. Well, today as we close this series, we want to talk about how the good news changes our world. It transforms our world. That there is good news for our world that the, again, the good news has the power to transform the world. Many years ago, the London Transit Authority was receiving a lot of complaints because the buses were just driving right past customers who were standing at the bus stops waiting for a bus. And so the Transit Authority put out an explanation that's become infamous with public relations departments. Their explanation said this, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. Think about that. A bus company driving past people who are waiting at their bus stops so it can maintain its schedule. Kind of seems like the bus company had forgotten their purpose for existence, don't you think? Did you know that the, the Taj Mahal in India, it was intended to be built as a memorial for one of Emperor Shah Jahan's wives. After she had died, the king had this amazing temple built to honor her. And it's said that after a while, the construction of this Taj Mahal consumed Shah Jahan. So much so that one day while he was in the building, while it was being built, Shah Jahan was walking through the site and he tripped over this big box and he became so angry about this box that he had tripped over that he had had the box removed from the site and thrown out at once. Well, come to find out, the box ended up being the, the body of his dead wife in which they were building the Taj Mahal. The, the one whom the building was being built for ended up being forgotten. Our prayer, our hope is that the church never forgets that the good news of Jesus Christ has the power to change our world. And so I want to read our main text for today. It's from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And this is Jesus speaking before he ascends into heaven. He said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we receive power from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but this power only changes our world when we who are the church remember our single purpose, to reach people with the gospel, to make disciples. And if we forget that, it's like building a temple and forgetting about the one that we're building it for. Going back to the London Transit Authority, we could compare our purpose as a church to that of a bus company. As we travel through life, our goal is to get as many people on the, onto the bus along the way as possible. And so we believe with every fiber of our existence that our world needs the gospel. And so I want to make it clear what, what we want the world to know, what we know that they need to know. And I want to make sure you understand these two vital truths of the gospel for our world. And if you know these, and if you believe these, it will transform your view of the world and it will impact your approach to the world. So I realize that we live in this world, though, that tells us, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it, right? And we live in a world that says, well, you can believe what you want, just don't impose your beliefs on anyone else. In fact, some, some would call, uh, call you a dangerous extremist if you believe the two vital truths that I'm going to be sharing today. And there are even some Christians who would say, well, we don't need to get all hung up on beliefs or on doctrine. It doesn't really matter, right? What, what matters is attitudes and behavior. That's kind of like saying the foundation of a house doesn't really matter all that much as long as the structure looks nice, as long as the structure's attractive, so don't get me wrong, attitudes and behaviors certainly do matter, but so do our beliefs. So what are our beliefs and the basic tenets of the gospel? In fact, our beliefs will drive our attitudes and our behaviors. Beliefs matter, and beliefs impact others. For instance, if a pregnant mom believes it's okay to abuse drugs, that belief impacts her life but it also impacts the life of her child. If you believe that time just doesn't matter, well, then you probably aren't going to make much of an employee, right? Because you may not think it's important to show up on time. You may not think it's important to show up at all. And that's going to impact others. It's going to impact who you work with and who you work for. If you men believe that women are just sex objects created for your instant gratification, I don't think that there's a dad out there who's going to want you to date their daughter. And it might cost you your life if you get around my daughters, right? Hitler persuaded an entire nation to believe that the Aryan race was superior to all other races. And look what that belief resulted in. A behavior where there were mur the murder of millions of Jews and a world war. Again, beliefs matter. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what are these two vital truths of the gospel that impact our view of the world? Well, the first one is this, that the world without Christ is lost. The world without Christ is lost. How's that related to the good news? Because that doesn't sound like good news, does it? Well, look, the good news doesn't sound all that good if we don't understand the, the context that it's in. If we don't understand the bad news, right? The bad situation that we're in. Like, you telling me that you have an extra parachute for me isn't all that good of news if we're standing on the ground, right? But if we're up in the air 
and the pilot is saying, we're going down, and you tell me you have an extra parachute? That's some good news, isn't it? In 2019, if you would have said, hey, I got a vaccine for COVID-19 available, that didn't sound all that good. But this year when the vaccine came out, it was received as very good news. To understand the gospel, to fully understand the good news, we need to understand this truth, that the world without Christ is lost. Like this is Christianity 101. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is where we miss the mark of God. Sin is an offense to God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. And this isn't just physical death we are deserving of. This is also what we call second death in scripture, which is eternity separated from God in hell. So we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And and, and we are all deserving of death. And if we die without faith in Christ, we will spend eternity in hell. Jesus described hell by saying saying about it that there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's a place where the worms that eat them do not die. And the fire is never quenched. The Apostle John would go on to describe the torment of hell as that of a fiery lake of burning sulfur. And he would call it second death, which is what we just said. It's eternal separation from God. This is what it means to be eternally lost. Without faith in Christ, we are lost And when I say faith, I'm not just talking about belief in your head, right? James 2 reminds us that even the demons believe and they what? They shudder. What I'm talking about is a biblical, complete trust in Jesus as Lord and and trusting in his work as Savior and a heart and a lifestyle that are surrendered to him. And so that leads to the second truth of the gospel for our world. And that is this, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is the gospel. This is the good news that the Bible teaches, that that apart from Christ, without Christ, we are lost. But because of Christ, we have the hope of salvation. And I know saying something like that, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, sounds awfully exclusive. Sounds maybe even a little bit intolerant, right? I I know we live in a culture that, that... says that this, this is just narrow-minded thinking. Because our, our culture will tell you that there are many ways to God and many paths to salvation, but many paths is not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what we believe. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And some people, no, and no one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus. He said, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. This is the gospel, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. How could Jesus say such a thing though? How could, how could Jesus be so narrow-minded to say that? He's the only way to salvation. Well, he could say such a thing because first of all, Jesus is a real person. So Jesus is not some made-up character in a fictional novel. He was a real person. He lived in a very real place, Palestine. He lived among real people in the first century. I've mentioned this before, but when I was in college, I went to a debate that was held at Ohio State University, and it was between um, 
William Lane Craig, who is just this amazing apologist, great man of faith. And it was, he was debating an atheistic scholar. And the debate centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Was there evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? And, and man, William Lane Craig just gave compelling evidence for that. But what I remember during this debate was this atheist he was obviously questioning the resurrection of Jesus, but he even went so far as to question even the existence of Jesus. Like, did Jesus even walk on this earth? And, and he was quickly blasted, not just by Christians though, but by non-Christians as well, because it was so absurd to even try to claim that Jesus never even existed. I mean, history is just full of evidences of the existence of Jesus. Jesus is a real person. But not only is, it, is Jesus a real person, but Jesus could claim to be the only way of salvation because Jesus is God. And we see demonstrations of his deity as he performed miraculous signs and wonders. He turned water into wine, calmed the waves, fed the 5,000, cured the lepers, raised a dead man from the grave, and, and so much more. Even intellectual leaders like, like Nicodemus would say, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform signs, the signs that you are doing, if God were not with him. John 1, in John 1, Jesus is described as the Word, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Why else could Jesus say that he is the only way to the Father? We could say this because of his teaching. Jesus did amazing things and he taught the amazing truth of God. In Mark 1.21, we read that the people were so amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. I mean, just think about the ethical standards that he set forth in the Sermon on the Mount alone. They stand still today as a model of integrity for people. And even his enemies would say that there was no one who had ever spoken like this man. Jesus could also say that he is the only way to salvation because of his suffering and his death. And we believe that Jesus suffered for a purpose. Being fully man, yet fully God, Jesus could have entered into this world with, with every luxury he ever wanted. He could have entered with all the splendor of a king. But instead, he became a servant. He entered as an infant, born to a teenage mother and a blue-collar carpenter dad, raised in a podunk town called Nazareth. And he knew poverty and grief and ridicule. He knew hatred because of his race. He was familiar with rejection, even rejection from his own family. He was familiar with disappointment, even disappointment from those closest to him. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering. And he was familiar with pain. And we believe that he suffered the most inhumane, cruel, excruciating death known to man at that time. Death by crucifixion. But we also believe that his death was not an accident. It was deliberate. Jesus' death on Calvary was not just some martyr's death. Rather, it was a, a vicarious death. A substitutionary death. He took the place of us. God laid on Jesus the iniquity, the sin of all of us. It was put onto Jesus. His death was payment for our sins. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus 
paid our bill, a bill that we could never, ever, ever pay ourselves. He paid the debt of sin, and that debt was death and eternal separation from God. So now when we come to the end of our life, we can do so with confidence that Jesus has made a way. He is our way maker, a way for us to enter into eternity in the presence of God. Isaiah 53 would go on to say, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was tr- crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. But that's not the end. Jesus could say that he is the only way to the Father because of his resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he demonstrated his power to raise life from the dead and to raise us from the dead to eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. He's saying, you can go talk to them now. They're still living. They are witnesses to this, though some have fallen asleep, though some had died at this point. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also, that's, that's Paul, as to one abnormally born. So Jesus did what no man has ever done before and no man will ever do again. He raised himself back to life, never to die again. And there were hundreds of witnesses to this. You can go to the tomb of any other man, even men who claimed to be deity themselves, and their bones are still in that tomb, but not Jesus. The angel told the the women at the tomb that very first Easter morning, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. He is alive. Jesus could also say that he's the only way to the Father because of his ascension. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Luke records these words. This is what we read earlier from Acts 1.8. He said this just before he ascended into heaven. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Luke goes on to write in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. I love what A.W. Tozer says about Jesus being the only way to salvation. He said, Christ is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. And Jesus could say that he is the only way to the Father because of all these reasons and also because he will return. He will return. Continuing in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended, we we read this in verse 10, that they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And it's like these two men who were dressed in white, we presume to be angels. They were telling these witnesses to Christ's ascension. They were going, look, why, why are you staring up at the sky? Christ has given you a mission. Let's get busy with that mission because he's coming back in the same way that he left. And so this is the gospel story. And these two beliefs that the world without Christ is lost, but that Jesus is the only way to salvation, they are the foundations of why we believe that the world desperately needs the good news. That they don't have to face an eternal punishment that they deserve, that we deserve. That there is hope in Jesus. And this is the motivation for our mission as a church. And so if these, if these beliefs, these two vital truths of the gospel, if we really do believe them, I want to tell you that two things are going to happen to you as a believer. And the first one isn't all that fun. First is this, that the world will hate you. The world will hate you. The Apostle John tells us, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, well, keep in mind, it hated me first. And he would tell them in, in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before who were before you. I really believe that we are moving more and more into this culture that is just hostile towards Christianity. Right now, that hostility is, is coming about when we're insulted. We're told that we're stupid, we're made fun of, we're ridiculed. There's attempts to silence us sometimes. But you can look throughout history and it might get worse. In fact, it probably will get worse. In fact, if you look at our world today, there are parts of this world where it is illegal to become, be a Christian. There are parts of this world where Christians are being martyred. And don't be surprised by this because we have an enemy who wants to kill steal and destroy. So the world may hate us, but there's a second thing that will happen if you really believe. And that second thing is this, that you will share the good news with others. You will share the good news with others. Think about it. If you had discovered a cure, like if you had discovered some medicine for cancer, or early on, if you had figured out a cure for COVID-19, what would you have done with it? You would have made sure that all of those who are suffering and dying from the disease would get this medicine, wouldn't you? If you had any bit of compassion for people, you would have taken that medicine and made sure that it was as widely available as possible. You'd do this even if the media was skeptical. You'd do this even if your neighbors made fun of you. Even if cancer patients said, don't try and push your medicine on me, you wouldn't care because you knew it could save their life. And this is the way it is with the good news. It is what our world needs. It is the cure. It is the remedy. It is the only hope for eternal life. And as we've said, this good news transforms me. It transforms my relationships. It transforms the church. And it go, goes on to impact the world. Years ago, Ben Gillette from the magic team, Penn and Teller, he put out a video blog, and we're going to try and show it in a moment. Hopefully the videos are working all right. But Penn Jillette, he's an atheist. 
if you didn't know that. And, and in this video blog, he's talking about how after one of his performances, a man came up to him and he said this man was very thoughtful, he was very kind, and he gave Penn a Bible with a note in it. And he, again, he knew that Penn was a, an atheist. Well, Penn was talking about how this Bible had impacted him and, and what this man had done for him. And he shared some very, very incredible ins- insights. And I wanted to share a portion of this video blog. And he's going to use this word proselytizing. And so if you don't know what that is, proselytizing is just basically where you're trying to convert somebody. Uh, again, remember, this is an atheist saying this. So check out this video. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Do you hear what he said? How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are compelled by the love of Christ. We are compelled by the good news that one died for all. And so we share the good news. Years ago, the Mercedes-Benz company, they had this commercial out and it showed a Mercedes automobile colliding into a cement wall. And the commercial was used to demonstrate the energy-absorbing car body that all Mercedes cars have. And in the commercial... A company spokesman was asked why the company did not patent this design, did not patent this car body design to prevent it from being copied by all other automobile companies. And the company spokesman said this. He said, because some things in life are too important not to share. Some things in life are too important not to share. And that makes me want to go out and buy myself a brand new Mercedes, right? Anyone got an extra sixty or $70,000 for me? Uh, I'll even take the G-Class if you're paying, by the way. But we have this good news. We have this good news that people in our world need to hear. And some things in life are too important not to share, even if it means ridicule, insult, or even death. 
you know, psychologists, they talk about three major anxieties that most people have that cannot be alleviated by any amount of wealth or information or psychiatric health, help. The, the, the three anxieties are this, the anxiety about death, the anxiety about guilt, and the anxiety about a sense of purpose in life. But don't you see the good news addresses each one of these anxieties and so much more. The good news says that even though we die, we will live forever with Christ. There's no fear in death. The good news says that in Jesus, all sin and guilt are removed by the blood of Christ. And the good news gives us hope and a purpose for living. So church, may we never forget that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Christ's love compels us to be his witnesses to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to our waiters and waitresses, to our families in Scott Depot, Winfield, Hurricane, St. Albans, Nitro, Polka, Cross Lanes, Charleston, Ona, Milton, Barbersville, Huntington. Did I miss any? In Putnam County, in Kanawha County, in Cabell County, in the United States, in Haiti, and to the ends of the earth. So that we may see people be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this good news that, that doesn't sound all that good at first in knowing that our condition without Christ is a pretty bad one. We are lost and eternal, eternally separated from you. But the good news is that we don't have to stay that way. The good news is that we have a way maker, one who has made a way for us to be with you for eternity. And so God, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. That he paid the debt for our sins. That he took our place on the cross and he suffered and died what we should have suffered and how we should have died. The punishment that we deserved and our sin and iniquity was placed on him. And then by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we receive his righteousness. By his wounds, we are made right before you. Not because of anything that we've done, but all because of what Jesus has done. This is good news that our world desperately needs to hear. And so may we be compelled by your love for us and your love for others and our love for others to not be stingy with the gospel, but to share it with this lost and dying world. God, may we be your mouthpiece. Yes, I pray that our, our actions and our behaviors would be great witnesses for you but you have given us a voice as well. And so God, I pray that our voices would be also your witnesses 
to those in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to those locally, to our families, to our friends, to those in our community, and that it would spread from there to the ends of the earth. May we be the witnesses that you have called us to be, carrying your good news. For how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if we don't speak up? So God, may we be your witnesses. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so as we've said throughout this series that this good news, this gospel, always demands a response from us. And so if you have a response to make about Jesus, or if you just need some prayer tonight, today, I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song, and I would love to help you with that decision. I would love to walk you through that response. I'd love to pray with you as well. Will you stand and sing?